Peepers, we're back. We're back. This is Unexplained Oregon. How are you, Christine? I'm doing really good. How are you doing, Kim? Good. Uh, we are back at it to talk about our second half on the Highway 20 serial killer. Sounds good. I, I just, um, I'm still recovering from the first episode, still thinking about it, still chilled. And yeah, if you haven't heard that, please go back and listen to it before you listen to this episode. Definitely. We just want to remind everybody that um, this next episode is, um, you know, discussing some pretty heavy topics, some violence against women. Um, we're also very passionate about these topics and about this story. So there could be some use of language that is <laughs> I tried to be better with the second half than yeah. I, I know that I did drop a few f-bombs on the first half and like you said it was only because when you get researching these topics you get very passionate about it and it it's hard not to get angry I know I I mean I get I cried about it in sure. the last one I think yeah and, yeah. Well, we want to just remind our listeners to be mindful of the content. We want to put this out there to take care of yourself uh, before and after you're listening to some of this stuff because it's pretty heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. But that being said, we're we're so glad that you guys are back with us. I'm we glad are to be so back with you, glad Kim. to be back. We're back. Before we get going, we want to remind you to check in with us on Instagram. We have unexplained or on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have uh, people writing in reviews on our page. We're so we're going to read one in a second. We're very excited I'm about so it. So excited! So excited! Just keep them coming. Uh, now that we're back at it, we took some time before we released these episodes just because they are very heavy and it was a lot of research going on, but we have some really fun, exciting things coming up. Yeah, I'm super uh, excited. We need, so excited. We need you to tell a friend. We need you to write write us a review. Give us, give us a five-star review on uh, Apple iPods. Yeah, I think it kind of keeps us going. We read everything. We love the comments on any photos um, that we put up or any, we just love it. We love knowing that other people are out there and, and love being, love like listening or at least enjoy listening to these topics like we do and love thinking about them and talking about them. But um, also give us some ideas. If you've had something mm -hmm. that's happened to you, if you've heard of a case that we haven't covered and maybe no one else has, let us know. If it's one that you want us to cover that a million other people have, we'll do that too. Like, sure. We are it open. It doesn't have to be in Oregon, I, although we are interested in cases in Oregon, but you know, we we're up to talking about cases from other places again. Uh, and definitely want to. So if you have something that you want to talk about, want to hear us talk about, uh, let's do it. Send us, send us your email uh, on our Gmail. That's unexplainedorgan at gmail.com. Or direct message us. Sometimes that's yes. a little bit easy. I get, we get them either way. We are so yeah. excited. I'm excited to hear about or have you read this, the latest review that we got, Kim. Yes, we were very excited to read this for all of you. It's from Brilliant Betty. And we just want to say thank you, Betty, so much for taking the time and writing this to us. Because like Christine said, it gives us energy. We're just, it just gets us excited knowing that other people are getting it, right? They're, they're digging what we're putting out there. So uh, Brilliant Betty labeled this real interesting and fun. And she gave us a five-star review. Thank you, Thank Betty. you. Checks in the mail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's her review. <laughs> These ladies are fun and informed and balanced each other in an engaging, humorous dialogue. Listening to them is like a conversation in my head or with my friends infused with fascinating knowledge fed by their lifelong fascination with unexplained events. Love the balance of exploring historical events and unique human perspectives. Can't wait for the next episode. Oh, I love it. Isn't that sweet? So sweet. I just thank you so much for sending that, Betty. We really appreciate it. 
And if uh, everyone else could do the same, that would be just great. And we'll re- <laughs> we'll read it or tell us not to read it. It's whatever. But we are no, going to share. We're going to read it. every single one. We're, we're so going to read every review we get. So write one and okay. we will read it. All right. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Like Christine said, take care of yourself for sure and uh, enjoy it. But definitely take care of yourself. This is your second half of Highway 20 Serial Killer. Let's do it. If you haven't watched Ghost of Highway 20, I encourage you to do so. I know, Christine, you said you you started to rewatch it again this week for me. And so if you have watched it, though, I know you're probably singing on this road of highways and the fireworks stands. That haunting song by Lucinda Williams uh, in that is just so good. And I mean, you and I kept like just singing it to each other through Marco Oh my gosh, Polo. there is just a YouTube video of her sitting in front of like a mic and her guitar singing the whole song. And I was like, the so words. Good. I literally got chills listening because yes. she actually says, and the ghost of Highway 20. Yeah, and like, it does. And it's just when you put it together with this, you know, the the video and the organ and the backdrop there, it is hauntingly chilling. And I just want to, I'm so thankful for those people out there that do put together these documentaries that we can go back and watch and grip us with you know the video and the music and this is definitely one worth watching for sure uh and so in episode four they they talk about these two teenage girls that go missing uh and one's name is melissa saunders she's 17 years old she's from lebanon and she goes missing with her best friend sheila swanson who's 19 and sheila's from sweet home these two girls were last seen May 3rd, uh, 1992, and their bodies were later found five months later uh, around October of 1992. And before we talk about what happened to these two girls, I also want to say uh, and mention, you know, in our last talk, we mentioned Marlene Gabrielson. Uh, John Arthur Aykroyd's first known victim and we mentioned that you know she was intoxicated at that time and I think both of us have you know we just want to throw out there and say we're no in way shape or form wanting to victim shame anyone in any of our stories Uh, and why we mentioned the fact that Marlene was intoxicated was she actually talks about her entire attack and what brought her to that point and um we're also going to talk about these two girls and maybe they were trying to hitchhike again. I don't want to victim shame them that maybe, you know, we're not putting it out there that these people put themselves in this position and that, you know, and that's why this and happened. And that in any way at all that, that uh, no. you know, that, that implies that they were at fault. I mean, yes, they were at, at risk, right? At but, risk. And, and their and guard was down. Yes. Yeah. In Marlene's case, we're talking different times where people were hitchhiking a lot in the late 70s, you know, and I think she, she, uh, he was around that campsite and maybe knew someone. And, and so she felt like it would have been a reliable ride home, you know, and so... Well, like we said, it, it was much more acceptable to do that. She, her guard was a little, you know, was down. She was upset and she wanted to get home to her She kid. wanted to get home to her child. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I just wanted to say that. I, I hope no one heard us talk about that. And and if, if you thought we were victim shaming, we aren't. We are creep shaming this asshole. He's a total jerk. And I stand behind that. Like, it, it's very upsetting. Um, That's, it's been really hard as I watched it again, Kim, to get, like, to find any compassion for him. I, I just really was nope. unable I to. I have none. I have none. <laughs> and I, I went back and, and listened to, you know, Rashonda. Pickle. Kurt, 
yeah, yes. her story too more. And um, it's just, I, I just have nothing for this person. There's I'm, nothing. In, it makes it no. worse when you look at his picture. I know we didn't post a picture of him because... I don't want to see his face. Like it's just more upsetting when you at, when you look at the jerk. It, uh, so why they think uh, Ackroyd's tied? He never went. He never admitted to having anything to do with Melissa and Sheila. But there are there are some very key points on why they think that he is the person that hurt these two girls. And so I'm going to talk about that a little today. And then you're actually going to tell us of an entirely different case of a girl that could be tied to him. Right. Uh, that's pretty creepy. So, but first we want to, you know, talk about why they think Ackroyd's tied to these girls. At the time, he was an Oregon Department of Transportation employee. He had been recently restationed to District 4 in Corvallis. Uh, and when that happened, and this is all on Ghost of Highway 20 on Episode 4, uh, when that happened, uh, the um, employee there is on there talking about how when he got transferred, he had very little oversight when he got transferred to this location. So uh, previously he was living at Sandy M Junction. We talk about that in the last episode. And um, by this time in 1992, he was divorced from Linda. So he was no longer part of her life. And he was actually living with his mother in sweet home and had been transferred here. And uh, it's just kind of chilling listening to the employees talk about him because they all kind of had this gut feeling about this guy right off the bat. Right? And they didn't want him there. Remember, they specifically they... requested that he not work there. Exactly. But after, it sounds like after Rashonda went missing, uh, the pressure was on to get him out of Santiam Junction. Right. And mm -hmm. I don't know why they couldn't come up with a way to fire the dude or whatever. I don't know, you know, the ins and outs there. But somehow he gets transferred, and they all kind of have this weird feeling. Uh, the supervisor there is even saying, like you said, I didn't want him there. They pressured him to be there. Once he was there, he really had free reign to roam Highway 20, and what he did was he repaired, like, broken equipment you know, for construction going on on the highway and stuff. And well, so... and I think he was doing his job. Like, part mm -hmm. of what I remember was that they said he, you know, he had, you know, feasible alibis because there were times where he actually was doing his job, too. Like, he was... He was just yeah. enough of a good worker, right? Or just sure, just enough of like a citizen or whatever, right? That he kind of stayed above. Yeah, like, I don't know. They they didn't maybe even. Oh my gosh, Kim, hmm. the interviews of him talking and joking with the cops. Yeah, like with it just. I, I don't know. There were Did parts it of it. anger in you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Angry, I'm getting it? angry thinking back about See? how he was like, it was almost like he was just kind of joking like good old buddies with the cops oh, yeah. about having intercourse with his, with Linda, the, you know, the day that. Yes. That Rashonda went, went missing. missing. Like, yeah. and they were like, so just gross. the way that these interviews went guys you've got to got to go watch this documentary it's pretty chilling yeah it's anyway. pretty chilling but be ready for it when you do watch it because <clears throat> obviously it invokes anger <laughs> i'm sorry i'm having traumatic i know <laughs> my heart is pounding and I i'm like i have a hot flash right now plus i'm hearing lucinda's song <laughs> in my head over and over <laughs> like so... the back of my head <laughs> So at the time, he lived in Sweet Home, and it was said that he actually knew these two girls. This is creepy. Uh, he frequented a Sherry's restaurant, um, which sounds to me like 
was like maybe the local hangout for the young kids in in Lebanon at the time which I get that growing up in a small town I think our hangout was probably like 7-Eleven parking lot remember when that was like the place to go we had to hit 7-Eleven parking lot at least once Friday night it was I don't know anyway so young kids find these hangouts especially when they're living in a town and they don't have much to do right Mm -hmm. and Sherry's restaurant happened to be where a lot of kids hung out and uh, it was said that he hung out there as well and it sounds like he tried to chum it up with a lot of these kids they all they even had nicknamed him the perv so again exactly a lot of them had that gut feeling that we're talking about that Mm -hmm. feeling that the employees had they you know just by meeting this guy they were grossed out by him you know Uh, so it's just crazy to me it was also said that around the time that these girls missing that they were in sherry's talking about this camping trip that they were going to take with melissa's family and it was overheard that he had said something like he's going to be in that area and he knows of a party so to me i kind of just that was weird to me you know it insinuated in the video that he was putting himself where they were right like he knew they were going to be in that area and so he had to establish some kind of alibi right knowing that he was going to hurt these girls who knows if that even if that was what happened but this is this is a theory of what they think happened to these girls so again i want to say no victim shaming here but maybe the girls you know did meet up with him because they thought that he could lead them to a party they were young you know and it sounds like they were together and ready to have fun so who knows who knows what happened there but um what we do know is another weird thing is the girls there was a reported sighting of the girls talking to someone in an odot truck Mm. around the time that they went missing so i you know these are all very definite indications here that this creep did have something to do with this and on episode four of Ghost of Highway 20, uh, there's a retired detective, Lynn Frederick, Fredrickson, and he's talking about how he feels that John Arthur Ackroyd is definitely responsible for these two deaths, along with other deaths. And it's, talk about chills. He, he's, they go into other cases In 1976, an unidentified skull was found near Swamp Mountain. Uh, In 1978, another skull was found near Snow Creek. Mm -hmm. In 1978, the body of Elizabeth Muster from Lebanon was found near Green Peter Reservoir. In addition to this, I read of two other teens that we had gone missing and you're going to cover another case for us at the, you know, after I talk about this. So I literally was, you know, watching this and reading this and going, what the heck? I know. This is crazy. And, and it's all around, you know, the late seventies, even though we're taught these two girls we're talking about are in 1992, but it's just, it's so crazy to think about that this guy had all these years to just freely roam this highway and maybe So these take... are the ones that we know or suspect and even when we were talking about um Marlene, right? Like who knows what he had done before her, right? He was 29 years old yeah. when he attacked her. Yeah. Plus I'm going to remind everyone, he didn't have handles in his truck or the little roller things. So, I mean, that doesn't just happen. Like, you know, that that's a clear indication to me that the guy had done it before, you know, or was planning it. And he knew. Was he in, like, his own pickup truck? Do we know? He wasn't in, like, his ODOT truck. Don't think they say that. I, I want to say it was his own truck. What the hell? You know, but I don't 
Yeah, no, I don't think they do either. Truck. Yeah, they don't think, think they say that. So okay. I want to say it was his own truck. Uh, but yeah, I ended up down this rabbit hole of what are all these missing cases surrounded this highway So were the two extra girls, Kim, that you're talking about, um, is that Jennifer and Kara? Those were in addition to Melissa and Sheila. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, in addition to, I mean, is that nuts to you? I just think that that's crazy. It's, it's really crazy. So what we know of the night that Melissa and Sheila went missing was that they were on a camping trip uh, at Beverly, near Beverly Beach State Park with Melissa's family. Around sometime at midnight, the girls are seen uh, at a phone booth near at Beverly Beach State Park around midnight. Like I said, someone, there was a reported sighting of them talking to someone in an ODOT truck. I don't know what time or where that plays into place. Uh, so that was what we know is the last sighting for sure was at this phone booth. Uh, and then they were found five months later, their bodies were found <clears throat> off of a road off of Highway 20. And what's creepy about that, and another indication that this creep had something to do with this, is uh, they mentioned that it's kind of like the last turnoff uh, before construction and flagging were to begin that was happening. So a uh, theory is that he had to get rid of these girls. He didn't want to be seen with two girls. So uh, they, you know, I they don't know even how these girls ended up dying, you know, because of the elements. So they don't know if they were murdered where they found them. But the, it is a theory that because of where they found them, it's one of the last turnoffs there. Uh, and then another creepy thing they talk about is the employees remember seeing him come in around the time that these girls uh, go missing and he's covered in blood and yeah. it's really creepy and they're all they again they all have that gut feeling this guy's a creep what the hell he has some weird story how he hit a deer and he ended up needing to gut it and even the one guy is like why would you <laughs> gut that a deer but okay he's like we just take them and throw them in the ditch <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> hello so... <laughs> that's what i do whenever i i i typically prefer to gut them but i usually don't have time yes <laughs> and remember he did carry that hunting knife right in the coffee can <laughs> in his truck that remember merlene saw that so he had he had that knife to gut the deer that was his story why he was all bloody the employees all remember that so we don't know what happened to these two girls but like i said all indications point to john arthur Aykroyd in this case right and it's really sad because the families of these victims are on this show. I know. And the brother talking about how he goes to the site where they were found. And he has guilt about, you know, not protecting his sister. It's so, God, it's so sad. It's just mm -hmm. heart-wrenching. My heart just goes out to the families in every one of these cases. And maybe there is a little guilt there, too, because when these girls went missing... The families just really figured that the girls were together and they were hitchhiking back to Lebanon. And so they didn't call authorities for about seven to ten days there. Yeah. They didn't call anyone. And, um, and then authorities were called. So again, there was a good week to ten days there that nothing was happening because the families didn't they just assumed the girls are together this is their mo they like to part you know whatever they're safe uh and and then they they never hear from them again it's, well and and just you know going back for a second in terms of just even um you know 
the stepdaughter who went missing, Rashandra. Am I saying her name correctly? Rashonda. Rashonda. Because yeah, I, I scribbled it down, and this is really bad. I'm I can't even read my ha- own handwriting of all the victims' names. It's like yes. But as I'm thinking back on the documentary, um, you know, again, like she's missing, right? And um, you know, as her mom is being interviewed and sort of recapping like what happened and her brother is recapping and obviously they both have a lot of guilt now looking back, but, and kind of the mom is still piecing things together, but still in denial, was in a lot so of denial, denial back then. Yeah. Um, you There's the 911 call of when Linda reports her daughter missing because she had just assumed or had been told that you had to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was the era, too, um, where a lot of kids ran away. And so the assumption mm-hmm. was, you know, it was big when we were growing up. Like, oh, people, you're, they ran away. Like, running yeah. away was, like, really the big thing I probably do. had it in my head I was going <laughs> to run away. I know I, I had it in my head just this week times. during the... <laughs> When the numbers were coming about, if COVID wasn't here, I'd run away. God. Anyway, so even Linda um, was saying that she waited to call in, and the 911 operator definitely gave her like a guilt trip over that. Like, and then in my mind, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what would I have done as a mom? Like, would I have taken the initiative and called anyway and, and checked just to make sure that I couldn't? Like, she just had heard that you couldn't report your child missing for 24 hours or whatever. And yeah. that 911 operator did not let her off the hook. It was like, yeah. no, nope, you, this is a child. You should have basically called. Yep. So time has passed. Mm. Um, and, you know, kind of like, these assumptions, like what you're saying with Melissa and Sheila, like they're just out doing their thing and they're sure, hitchhiking. they're together, you yeah. know, maybe they've hitchhiked before together. We don't know, you know. Well, uh, and it says that they, you know, maybe because they were kind of inclined to that behavior or maybe people made these assumptions about them, they definitely fell through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know... That's the problem here is that nobody was paying attention. And so um, they are just as valuable of humans. You know, they have somebody should have been checking on them. Somebody should have been checking on all of these girls. And you really feel the guilt from the families when you watch this, though. I mean, you really feel their pain. Yeah. And it's... I'm now sure, after all these years oh i'm sure they think about it every day like and marlene them. and marlene so brave like so brave as she tried <sighs> to get help and because of who she was what her skin color is what yeah. you know she tried to be assertive she tried to get help and they didn't help her they didn't believe her and made her feel like she did something wrong right and so sad all of this could have been prevented who knows what else he did right yeah okay. sorry that was my little i side know note. i know marlene dude. just breaks my breaks oh my, my heart. gosh i know her bravery like she moves me about just how brave she was to go through that and just she left the area also after all this happened she was good you know and now I don't want to give too much of it away but it just kind of sticks out to me how she was like stunned when they called her emailed her and contacted her for the interview for the documentary because she thought nobody cared and it's like to be able to sit there and talk about and be who she is now. And obviously she's found her, her voice and her, she and stands she's strong in her just, heritage. And yeah, she's just so strong the way she just tells her story. I just, it moved me really watching her. It did. Yeah. I did read in another article from Gazette Times based on Corvallis that they, uh, around this time, Lincoln County authorities did have an entirely different suspect for Sheila and Melissa, you know, uh, and a lot of these victims they found. And his name was 
Bobby, Bobby Jack, Jack Fowler. Fowler. Okay, did you read about that I have that him guy? on my notes, yes. Oh, oh my gosh. He was could have been related to 11 or more unsolved murders in Canada and Oregon. He died in prison in 2006 from lung cancer. So we don't know if he was tied to them. We don't know. Uh, my gut goes to John Arthur Aykroyd for Melissa and Sheila. It really does. Uh, but who knows? You know, it's just really scary that, and really sad that we won't know because these creeps are dead. You know, you want to be happy that they're no longer here terrorizing the world, but then there's this whole other aspect where there's so many unknown answers. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's crazy. You and I were talking about how we were shocked, like, as you research and go down the rabbit hole on like Reddit and different. It's like a link to, well, they thought it could be this person. That's how I got yeah. Bobby Jack Fowler. I we mean, there's... both got And what's him. up with their, their three names? Do we have to do this? John, John Arthur Aykroyd. <laughs> Bobby Jack that. Fowler. Like, yes. who are these fuck knobs? I'm going to just say know. it. Why are we not calling them this? Because we... It was like, well, it could have been this serial killer. I'm like... What? How did and we And then not... how many are there in I don't Oregon know. tied to this area? I don't like, know. What the They're hell? They're just roaming Wondering, the highways. And they Wondering. know the back roads. Okay. It's crazy and creepy. We're ready to investigate them. So you're that's going to lead us into our next yeah. talk here. You're going to tell us about this other case. I'm excited to hear about it. Um there is some disturbing shit going on with the one you're going to talk about. So what do you, what do you have? Okay. For so I found out about um, this next case from my friend um, who texted me and, and I love it because our friends who, um, <laughs> who listen, just like send us texts with, with different cases. And I love it. Like if they're visiting, like my friend was visiting the coast and there are posters up um for Kelly Lynn Disney. So um, Kelly Lynn Disney, you know, this this whole crime occurred, you know, in 1984, but her family has had like a resurgence of, um, you know, wanting to get this solved. And so they've posted, um, you know, 2,000 posters and 200 oh. signs along Highway 101 and, and Highway 20 and 2,000 posters all over the place, obviously, because my friend saw it when she was visiting the coast and she took and a picture. And then she thought of us? Yeah, and, and she and sent the, me the picture, awesome. which got us going down this rabbit hole and I think had a, had me kind of remember Ghost of Highway 20 and somehow we got like... And then you mentioned it to me I and know. I watched it. And so it. now here we are. I love um, it. So we got... Thank you um, to my friend listening. I don't Yay. know that I want to throw her name out there. It starts with a D. Um, but she's she's been fun to like talk with and we love this. Like send us DMs, send us little whatever, quick emails. If you hear a case that... You know, you're not sure if we've yes. heard of because there's so much out there. Um, yeah. But anyway, Kelly Lynn Disney um, was 17 years old uh, at the time of her disappearance. She, um, I believe, lived in Newport. Um, okay. And she was trying to finish up high school. At the time of her disappearance, she was living with her boyfriend, who was 20, um, she had moved out and moved in with him, um, and her parents had allowed this with the stipulation that she finish high school, which she was doing. Um, her and her boyfriend had a little bit of a different, like, you know, belief system or, you know, habits. He kind of liked to party, and she was a little bit less and maybe more like serious. She had a job. Mm. She, you know, went to school and he was, I think he had a job also. I can't remember what he did. Um, but their relationship was kind of up and down, you know, okay. I mean, they're young. And um, I mean, I think back to, 
I don't want to think back to my high school love. Our relationships were. I caused a lot of drama. Drama, right? So trying to like live with your boyfriend at 17 and finish high school and work and stuff. So anyway, they're at a party. um, And this is March 9th, 1984. Actually, it was probably the the night before because she goes missing on the 9th. Um, And they get into like whatever an argument she Mm. ends up he leaves i think she's there at the party she ends up leaving he comes back she's gone right so kind of your typical like who knows i don't know if she was drinking at the time or whatever i'm sure they you know it's a party so um she leaves the party about 12 30 Um, And her boyfriend goes and finds her and she's standing along Highway 20 east of Highway 101. That night it was cold, wet, drizzly. It was a winter night. Even though it was March, it's still pretty, it's going to be cold on the coast. Um, Oh yeah, windy for sure. Yeah, and she she wouldn't she wouldn't get it back in the car with him. Oh Um, no. He couldn't convince her to get in. So apparently he just leaves her. Damn um, it. Yeah. If that ever happens, just I know. follow your girlfriend I know. as she Stay walks in the background, home. follow her. There you might you know, it's be 1984. Of There's being psycho, but just that is the better decision in yes. that case. Like, it's 1984. There's no cell phone and there's no pager, right? We didn't even have pagers. Right? No. 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 No, definitely not. Okay, so no pagers, no cell phones. Like if you wanted to make a phone call, you had to go to a phone booth with like a dime and make yeah. a phone call. Um so along while she's standing there, I don't know if she was just in one spot along the highway or if she was walking. It doesn't really say, but two men notice her. They're on their way to like their janitorial job and they pull over and offer her a ride. Of course, she doesn't take them up on it. Well, and, I mean, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't, but... Right, and how cool and nice that they stopped and, like, checked on her. Obviously, they were like, what the heck? So I don't know what she looked like. I don't know if she was, like, upset. There's no description that I could find of that. But okay. the men were disturbed enough about the situation that they, you know had pulled off to a minute mart or gas station or something. And they bumped into like an off duty cop or something and told him, Hey, look, there's this girl. She looks young. Right. I mean, it was enough for it to stand out to them to pull over. And then for her to not get in the vehicle with them, they were obviously like concerned about her. And so they mentioned it to this policeman who calls it in So a deputy shows up and finds her, and she refuses help. Well, okay. Really? Yeah. And she's underage, so I don't really know how that works because... she's walking home then? Is this... She's walking. Nobody Uh knows where. She says she's going... She tells the, the deputy that she's going to a girlfriend's house. Okay, so I don't know where she was really going. Um, And that's, you know, three different offers for transportation. Okay, and she's the thing that I guess I'm a little bit like that's interesting to me is that she's underage. Mm -hmm. She's out. It's the middle of the freaking night Mm -hmm. and people are leaving her there. Like, yeah. the the two guys, kudos to them for, like, getting help and calling it in. I can't even believe she's that. Off, yeah, she's obviously amazing. young. and But why did the deputy or the cop leave her there? I have no idea. Um, hmm. So around, it's, a, it's about 1 a.m., okay? Maybe and she so, was, like, coherent enough. Or, I mean, obviously she was convinced him she was fine enough for him to leave. Yeah. You know, obviously, if she was intoxicated, I think he wouldn't have left her, right? True. He would have, like, cited her for minor in possession and done something about it. But Well, maybe and she... she wasn't really, I don't, as far as I read, she wasn't really, like, a drinker. 
So that maybe was she more... was just convincing enough, like, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to get there mm-hmm. and let me do it. Ugh. Yeah. So um, she, that's the last time anyone saw her. Um, oh, my gosh. They think she disappeared. And I don't know how they figured this out. Um I don't know if her boyfriend went back again, but they figured that there was about a 15 to 20 minute time frame of like where something must have happened. So I don't know. Um, well, okay. It says on my notes, I should look at those. Uh, <laughs> her boyfriend and some friends too actually looked for her several more times. And then they just assumed that she had gone back to her parents' house. Okay. Um, and so I don't know, like, I don't know um, why they assumed that. I guess the boyfriend just, you know, they didn't have all the information and, and they must have just assumed that she got figured out how to get back to her parents' house. So her parents lived in, um, I want to say, I want to pronounce this correctly, and I'm not sure if I know how to pronounce it right. Um it's a city in Oregon, Silitz, Silitz, S-I-L-E-T-Z. Uh, I've you... heard about I know, Silets. but I don't know how to... Silets. Okay, thank you. I think it's you. There's so many of these little small towns, and I yeah. feel like with the cases we're covering, we're getting really good. I am at, like, all these little towns and what highways are around us that, like, it's mind-blowing. So thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you know how to pronounce it. But that's where her family... Well, don't... Don't hold me to that. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that sounds that sounds right. Um, so anyway, that's where her parents lived, and I guess her friends and her boyfriend just assumed that she had figured out how to get back there. Okay. The next day, her mom comes to the apartment to try to find her. I don't know why or what was going on that the mom felt that she needed to come to the apartment and look for her. Um, and she wasn't there. The dad ends up filing a missing um, persons report. And really, you know, they did a little bit of searching, like the sheriff's department, the fire department. I believe the family and the boyfriend went out. Um, and they really, like, kind of just assumed, law enforcement did, that she was a runaway. Right? What? They just assumed she ran away without any of her things, without any of her belongings? Again, right? Like, okay, so she's a runaway. Like, it's maybe a, an age thing? I don't really know. I mean, this was, again, 1984, right? Yeah. Um, so... Wow. Nothing. They don't, they never find her. There's no trace. There's no evidence. She's just gone. Okay. Like I said, there was probably about a 10 to 15 minute period of time. Okay. That that poor boyfriend that drove away from her in the fight. Yeah. The last time he, the last interaction he has with her is probably not pleasant. No. And 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 then he never sees her again. And those men do. And then that deputy does, right? Or the law enforcement does. So bring us to 10 years later, July 23rd, 1994. Okay. Um, A man finds a skull in an abandoned vehicle at the uh, reservoir and Newport. There's this reservoir that people know about, like locals know about. People go there and party. And there's this old abandoned vehicle that's just there that people know about. And he finds a skull in there. And I've read that it was like covered with some carpet or something. But anyway, he decides to take the skull home because that's what you should do. He takes it home and he cleans it off. And he puts it on top of his TV. Huh? Was this dude married? <laughs> was his wife around? Like, what is going on here? Yeah, she was. And she was like, she dude, was. this is fucked up. Take the skull to the police. So the next he day. He cleaned the skull and tried to use it as decor in his living room. It's a pretty normal thing <laughs> people no. do with skulls when you find them. Is um, Yeah. It's funny because I was reading on Reddit about this and someone said, well, 
I have a friend or a family member who collects like old animal skulls and cleans them off and puts okay. them on display. That's and I'm different. thinking that's different. You know <laughs> what the animal is and where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is different. Uh, so it turns yeah. out that the uh, the skull belongs to Kelly Lynn Disney. Oh um, my gosh! Yeah. You're kidding. So um, they never find anything else. Okay, um, wait. Go back to the dude with the skull. His wife is like, yeah. He takes it in. He takes it into this? the police. He takes it into the police. And they must identify it based. I would think on her dental um, because they know, I mean, it's 10 years later, so it's 1994 and they figure out that it's her. Oh my um, gosh. And that all they have is the skull and they don't have any clothes or anything. They just no, but I believe skull. that there was like trauma to the skull. So like her, she had been oh. hit. Um, that is so sick. Isn't it? What's creepy about it, and and this is pretty much going to wrap it up because they never, again, tie it to anybody, but they think it could have been Bobby Jack Fowler. Okay. Or John Arthur. John Arthur. Okay. So what's creepy about it is that that school wasn't there, like, the day before. And so the family had put some information out or some some kind of resurgence and and I don't think it was these posters because the posters are newer but something came out in the media something came out and that skull was placed in that vehicle so creepy you and I were talking about up and down like are you kidding me so that's what's creepy about this case is like um you know what I think you and I know is that, and what we're figuring out, and as and what I've read before and heard is that, you know, when people, like, get rid of bodies and stuff, they put them in places that they're familiar with. They're not going to just mm-hmm. drive around on abandoned roads and, and like, not know where they're at and just go put a person, a dead not body typically. out there. They, right. they take, the, you know, take the, the bodies to places that they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. And this reservoir is no, you know, people don't know about it unless you're from the area. It's a locally known place where they go, where people go and hang out. So the theory is, is like, kind of like even with these other girls, you know, um, Rashonda Rashonda was never found. Right. Turner was found. Melissa and Sheila were found. And obviously, like, they're in areas that somebody knows how to get to. Somebody's familiar. Sure. They're going to go to the area because they know they won't be detected as they're disposing or murdering or whatever, right? So these are people that know their way around. They know these back logging roads. They know the highway. They know when to wait for the flaggers to be off their shift. They know the ins and outs. They know the reservoir. Um, So... you and I have talked about this theme of these skulls. Like, yeah. what the hell? It makes me think of Stand By Me, right? Like, yeah, just it's... the era, too, of, like, a skull was, like, I just feel like it was an era thing, too, where people were, like, fascinated with skulls. And maybe it had to do with, um... I can't even. Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom? <laughs> like Satanic <laughs> Panic. And, like, it was oh. just an era of, like... A weird era of, and who knows, I mean, just because the skull was found in the car, they do think it was because something had come up in the media or that, you know, some sort of a resurgence. So somebody placed the skull in there to be found. Yeah. But that's it. That's, that's all we have. Um, That's creepy. And I think as we have started to you know we watched ghost of highway 20 and your friend suggested kelly disney you're right we started to go down these rabbit holes and um it's i think we will continue to talk about these cases and uh because it's creepy to me the unexplained aspect of this is what makes this so creepy right we don't know we don't have answers here 
And that's what just makes it so creepy. We'll never know probably what happened to Kelly Disney. Right? No, and they're, you know, to some extent, you and I were talking about this before, too, that some of these, obviously, you know, with John Arthur Brickhead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, know. why are we calling him a bad name still? Like, we did the first episode. I'm really angry with this guy. Like, I know. And these guys I... that are just, like, roaming around. And these are crimes of opportunity, most of them. and And also not, right? Because most crimes are... You know, a lot of murders and whatever, they're they people know that the we area. know. Yeah. They know the area. They know. And and some of this to with John Aykroyd was he knew them, right? But Kay Turner was random. And he so didn't that, know her. Yeah, that, exactly. exactly. These were crimes of opportunity, which makes me think it, he knew Melissa or he, well, we know he knew Melissa and Sheila, but I think it it, it definitely speaks to... Kelly Lynn Disney that he was all about the crimes of opportunity and and yeah but at that moment I mean you know who who knows who was out there I mean there's all these freaks roaming these highways and then you don't want to think that like you want to think it was just John Aykroyd but then you know what if it wasn't what if there's a whole nother killer we don't know about you know really scary my heart goes out to the families. Uh, those so how two did, girls, hmm. Kim, how did Ghost of Highway, how did they sum up? Tell me the end of it again. I mean, so I So watched... the end episode we kind of talked in our last episode wrapped up on how he was actually convicted for the crimes. And yeah. we went over that in our last episode. So ultimately he was put away for that crime for Kay Turner with his friend, Roger Beck. Again, Roger Dale Beck. I think that guy had three oh. names too. <laughs> But uh, so they were he was convicted of those of that crime and then ultimately pled no contest to Rashonda Pickle. And that kept him in prison uh, and not roaming the streets. And then he died in prison. So, again, go back and watch Ghost of Highway 20. Like, seriously, I'm so I'm so glad you suggested it. Thank you. I keep saying that to you. You always will suggest, you know, the creepy stuff that gets me going, and I appreciate that. Well, I want to say that that there are likely more cases, but there were there was sort of a cluster of of them during this time period yeah. that definitely pointed to John um, Arthur <laughs> Aykroyd Ackroyd. and his friend Dale. Roger Dale Beck. I mean, so there were a cluster, which which just brings our attention. But who knows who else was out there? Who knows that we who knows who who else he, you know, terrorized and attacked. Exactly. So we do have uh, another scary case that was close to Highway 20. I mean, this happened close to this and uh we don't know that it has anything to do with it. You're reading that book. What's creepy about that is one of the detectives in Ghost of Highway 20 is actually one of the ones you've read about in your book, right? right. So we have talked about it's how ironic is that? Like even just like the waffle shoes that Kay was wearing and we talked about that in our Rajneesh episode. It just, you know, it, it's all tying together. Maybe we... Maybe you and I are supposed to talk about these people for a reason, right? Yeah. We're, we're getting this energy out there. And um, we don't necessarily want to bring attention to John Arthur Aykroyd and who he was as a person. But I definitely want to bring attention to the victims of the case. Yeah. Marlene and how brave she was. Oh, my gosh. Like, I I get chills even just thinking about her interview. It, the bravery that she faced at that young age is amazing. Very inspirational, you know, and then just the families and everyone involved. And I think it's definitely worth mentioning how hard the people from the Oregonian worked on putting that whole story together. It's amazing. It's and the music and everything. So uh, definitely go back watch it, listen to our episode, uh, and hopefully... Well, I want to say also, um, 
while we're talking about it, I want to talk about law enforcement as well that, you know, perhaps there were things that were not done well in some of this, Mm -hmm. um, but there were also... You know, they interview a lot of the, like, the the DA who was there. And, I mean, just their stories about, and and some of the detectives and stuff, like, it, it's pretty powerful. Like It is. It is. It shows how invested they were at the time with doing something about it. You know, their hands were tied, too, because they couldn't, they didn't have any evidence that he had anything to do with Kay Turner, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's amazing right there. There's no I mean, they evidence. had the evidence that he had seen her, right? Like, right. That he Witness. was he was sort of like tiptoeing around it yeah. and they were trying. But like, they th- these people were pretty dedicated, pretty involved. Yeah. And it's worth watching because of the sort of the power behind all of the storytelling in this and the, I mean, some of it's in black and white and the music yeah. and all of it. Like it's, it's pretty, it is haunting. Really. It is very, uh, very haunting. I enjoyed talking about it with you though. I know. Oh <laughs> and getting gosh. angry about it with you. Well, you're less angry right now. I'm more angry. Because I tried, I went back and listened and I don't, I mean, I I think I didn't want to drop as many f bombs with this episode. He <laughs> is, he, but you he, know, I it's hard like not I, to. I can really find is. compassion for a lot, and I and I still can. People don't just become serial killers. Like nobody Ugh. sets out to be like I'm going to be a serial killer. This sounds like a good idea. I mean, right? But this person was very very ill, and if you watch. Ghost of Highway 20, you'll get more details into it that we don't want to talk about. And I don't even want to say his name again, but these men are ill. Yeah. They are, um, you know, they fell through the cracks and stayed under the radar and were able to hurt people because so either there was victim blaming going on, there was systematic whatever, racism, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So, this could have been prevented. And, you know, you and I have talked about just... Being aware of your surroundings, mm-hmm. being really careful. I think if you and I had to go back again and do our teenagers over, we would not oh, have done gosh. some of the stupid things. If, I mean, yeah. we could have easily been out on that road. And, and that's why I want to say we aren't victim shaming. I mean, I definitely empathize with the 17-year-old girl that just wanted to party and be with my friend. And I felt safe with you, you know, yeah. like even when we were putting ourselves in really dumb, stupid situations, I always felt like I had some street smart there. And I think a lot of us do, right? That's how we get into these situations. And maybe he got these two girls in the car and pulled a gun on one of them. What do you do in that case when a gun is pulled on your friend? You're going to listen to everything that guy says, right? So... I definitely empathize with the young girls that put, you know, that were out there and that this happened to because you and I were once young and <laughs> really. Well, we think we're invincible. It, yeah. It's not just a young girl thing. It's a young guy. It's a young, young person's True. thing. It like, is. It's a, it's a different, you know, frontal too. lobe isn't fully developed thing. Yeah. Like there are things that we would have done then that we would never dream of doing as adults. Like, we're much more logical and less impulsive and there's reasons for that. And then if you add alcohol on top of it or any type of substance, our guards down even more. So there's no, you know, those are just facts. Those aren't, that's, that's not victim blaming that those are just facts. And unfortunately these people were vulnerable at the time of, of these incidences they were in the wrong place at the wrong time i mean kay turner was just running on vacation she was was alone freaking vacation in the wrong place at the wrong time and that is just i mean it's just tragic all of these stories and of course like kim we always want to say that we're about you know the victims we're about Mm -hmm. putting the energy out there we're about resolution and and just honoring who these people are and were and their family members and the 
the people that really put the effort into trying to find them and and yeah. we want to we want to bring energy to that always yes for yeah. sure we hope we did I know. so stay tuned i can't wait for our next talk and uh we'll just stay tuned until then right? <laughs> we've got some good stuff coming we've up we always have stuff in. yeah but definitely get, uh, email us email keep those stories coming for it's sure really good to talk with you today kim i'm glad we did it i love you i love you too Oh, like a bit of more. Something I